Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. And we are here. Two of us are very sick, but we are here nonetheless. <laughs> um, we This evening we'll be covering the 1960 black and white classic, in my opinion, that's much overlooked. Uh, City of the Dead, also known as Horror Hotel over here in uh, sunny old Blighty. Um, now, which which title do we prefer? Or we could come back to that later. I always I always knew it only as Horror Hotel. And I always mm. loved the film and thought Horror. it was a dreadful name. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Horror Hotel is, is the US release. Oh, uh, okay. And the City of the Dead is the UK name. Oh, my bad. See, I don't do the research. I just watch it. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, but I think I think that's the point. Is because it's it's one of those films that then came back under a different name. Yeah, you know, like a lot of them mm. do. You know, and so yeah, I think it had come back over. So a lot of people watched it as Horror Hotel over here on like when it was first released on live video and stuff because rather than no one was bothering to go and ask Amicus for a print. So <laughs> they, uh, yeah, uh, we used to get all the American ones. So, yeah. Nice. So, but I'm, I'm half and half with it. I really am because city of the dead is quite possibly the least exciting title with dead in it. <laughs> But also, like, is, is it a city? Is it, yeah. seems, it, it looks is. like five houses and a church. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. the bit. <laughs> Village of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. Like, Which immediately would sound slightly better because village is a slightly more evil word than city. Yeah. In, in, <laughs> it's got V in it. <laughs> and that's for vampire. So, you know, clearly. Or vich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, so before we get into that though, um, Chris, have you been watching anything? I know you've been busy. No, I've been terrible. I've been on holiday for nearly two weeks and so yeah, done nothing. I'm awful and I apologise, but I want to go watch The Northman. Yes. yes. Who wants to go with me? Yes. I do. Yes, because that just came out as I realised. And <laughs> so yeah. Oh, is, is Claire coming as well? Go on, do your voice again. No. <laughs> that's that's one of Claire's favourite things from uh, is it Simpsons or Family Guy? It's just Family Guy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Where it'd just be a crowd of people. And you, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it does. Yeah. Look no, I've, I've heard. I've, I've heard from Adam. Yeah, that that some people like it. Uh, yes, I, I believe uh, some. Former, uh, former guests of the show have uh, mentioned that they've seen it. That is the response. What were you thinking, Lee? Uh, yeah, the same. Say, Lee? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Robert Eggers as well. So even mm. though it doesn't technically fall into horror, I think that gives it a, a pass. Really, it's weird that the lighthouse, regardless mm. of it being hallucinogenic or not. You know, in terms of is it fantasy, is it reality, is it within the mind, is it actually happening? It does feature, it's the weirdest horror film that's not been called a horror film that features spunk in the eye and, like, necrophilic mermaid doings. Yeah. It's sort of, it's, yeah. It's, that's probably not going to appeal to many people outside of, of horror. Yeah. Bands, it's going to be, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not, it's not tropes from a romantic comedy, I will say. So, <laughs> although if you do want that for a romantic comedy, uh, watch uh, Spring. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So uh, for Chris's choice of our next episode, uh, we will be going to the cinema to check out The Northman. So uh, stay tuned for that in a fortnight's time, you lucky devils. Rook. Absolutely. As long as I don't get COVID again. Um, mm -hmm. You're coming in a fucking bubble, bitch. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't be the first time. So, um, <laughs> we... <laughs> um, yes, Adam. Yes. What have you been watching? 
Um, well, like I said, like I said off off screen, um, I too have been uh, off off air. I too have been uh, somewhat ill, so I've had a fairly bleary three days. But I have um, before that, I did manage to pack in quite a bit. Um, so I've watched the Netflix uh, Jimmy Savile British Horror Story, which mm-hmm. has got horror in the title, and yeah, I mean it's it's nothing. It's nothing new, particularly, but it does put a lot in fucking context, mm. and hopefully would be. So let's let's just say, hopefully, it means that they'll stop talking about those players to put up a statue to Mrs. Thatcher, because <laughs> yeah, mm. it's yeah, it's really invidious, horrible stuff. So yeah, um, on a, on a slightly lighter note, I watched the Torture Garden. Oh, yeah. um, the <laughs> what, <coughs> so, what is that? Me. I've heard uh, of it as a as a club. I thought you might have done. <laughs> so Chris, have, have I got Chris, that look about me? <laughs> no, it's just I, I I know I know some of your history, and it's like yeah, <laughs> I've, I've I've seen some of your clubbing gear, so yeah. I'm assuming that you would have heard of the torture. I, I did. I did very nearly go. I, I got invited to once, and I thought. It's just, it's just beyond me. It's just, I'm not quite there. I don't think, <laughs> but, but they well, did play. I did love the music they played there. Some of my favourite producers. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was fucking heavy. Yeah, so, yeah, mm. but um, no, this is and this is absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, unfortunately, this is a another Amicus anthology mm. that I just got on. Uh, well, a big, got a big stack of Blu-ray, which actually have now turned into an anniversary present from my own dear Claire. Oh. Uh, because basically I said, look, I've got this lot for 50 quid. And she said, I'll give you 50 quid. <laughs> that could be your anniversary <laughs> present. And I shit you not, that is a fucking amazing first anniversary present. <laughs> it's, it's like, I thought I got a great deal, but is there any deal better than free and with love? <laughs> wow. So thank you, um, uh, but yeah, and part of that I also bought uh, got the Gorgon, uh, and mm. that is a fucking weird Hammer film. That is, mm. it is very strange, and it's sort of speaking like we were talking earlier, like when you were talking earlier, Chris, about like the mythology book that you bought Jennifer because you wanted you'd bought her Norse, but she'd wanted Greek, but you couldn't yeah. find a Greek mythology one. And this is the weirdest fucking thing because this the, the Gorgon basically resets the figure of a Gorgon mm. into like sort of I don't know what sort of Prussia, sort of the sort of Germanic areas of Europe. Mm-hmm. So you've got like a Burgermaster and stuff like that, but there's also a Gorgon. And but and you've got um, Chris. I mean, you've got um, you've got the the full the full Hammer complement of uh, Cushing and Lee and uh, it's um, and Barbara Shelley. And yeah, it's a really good film. The only trouble is, I think, and this might have been when I was starting to feel it. Actually, is that it has oddly long passages where. There's literally nothing, not even score happening. And so there were a few bits where I was like, well, I think I, think I might have dripped off there. And then suddenly <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a clang and there's a gorg. So it really works. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I enjoyed. Did Sorry, you no? say if this was earlier or later, Hammer? This is, I think, this is actually after. Possibly after Hand of the Baskervilles, so it's no. fairly okay. early. Um, but it was kind of like I think basically it was Hammer's next thought was we another monster, and they went female mm. monster. But rather than go Bride of Frankenstein, because that I think there's some I think Bride of Frankenstein because it's not it's based on Mary Shelley, but it's it's like I think Universal have some copyright on the character of the Bride of Frankenstein okay. that isn't on Frankenstein himself. Mm-hmm. So 
you know other people can use that character and stuff but i think yeah mm. um so they i think they went down like a sort of they needed a female monster or whatever like that and so they hit upon the gorgon mm-hmm. and um the thing is it's like it's basically like a werewolf film because it's so who is the gorgon and it's like there's three women in this and one of them has lines <laughs> <laughs> so it's but um yeah, I think there's a. It's, it's, but also the Gorgon doesn't look like the person, so I don't know if it would be an appealing role to take. If you see what I mean, mm-hmm. it's like Dracula. You get to be, you know, you you actually act a part rather than just be. Yeah, it's <laughs> like this sort of weird creature that's not even played by you. Yeah. Interesting. And then, uh, and also finished watching uh, The Witchfinder, the Tim Key. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Daisy May Cooper thing. Uh, I don't know. Did you finish it, Lee? I did, yes. Yes. I thought that that, I really just got better and better as it went along because yeah. I was kind of, I was, I was definitely sold on Tim Key um, like, and, and his character. And I was s- sort of with, the Daisy May Cooper character and Je- Je- uh, Jessica Hines as well. But <coughs> <clears throat> yeah, there were a few, so I was like half and half and everything. And then as it went on, I was really getting into it and I really enjoy, I did enjoy the characters and, and everything. And it's like, it's a proper story. Yeah. In so much as it's not, it's not, a, I think a lot of people assumed it was going to be a sitcom. Mm. And it's like, no, this isn't like, here's a caper for half an hour. It's like, here's half an hour in a longer sequence of time. Yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, so, and so I think a lot of people weren't necessarily prepared for that. Mm. And then, and I fucking called it. The first thing I said was, is well, if they've done a f- thing called The Witchfinder, if Matthew Hopkins is in it, if he is not played by a member of the League of Gentlemen, <laughs> they have fucked up because clearly they just don't know what they're doing. And then, lo and behold, Mr. Ray Shearsmith click-clacks in on his proper <laughs> uh, shoes. And, um, and also, a really lovely take on it was that they have a... F- Sorry, this is a kind of spoiler, so if you do go, if you want, you know, go and watch it, but skip for a minute or so. Um, but the fact they have like a false outcome where you meet the Witchfinder General, Matthew Hopkins, and he's played by Julian Barrett. Yeah. And it's Julian Barrett in full actor mode, Mm. you know, and he's sort of, and it's like, that's what you expect of Matthew Hopkins, this sort of commanding theatrical figure. And then that turns out to be the con man. And then the real one is a fusty little tedious man in yeah. lifts. <laughs> and it's sort of like, you yeah, know, that is, that is distinctly Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. I'm going to have to thank you briefly, right, for bringing back a memory of we watched a little while back now, Killing Eve, and I didn't realise Julian Barrett was in it as quite a weird guy, yeah. if, if, yes. if you've seen that. <laughs> I didn't know quite how weird he was going to get. <laughs> but it, 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 go up in it as well it, yeah yeah you're right it does mm. yeah like, not um is is a significant role in mi6 but he's not in it that often um, right but yeah it's uh, uh julian barrett it was it did get quite eerie like in in it's sort of the style changed a bit i thought mm. from how it had been but yeah no sorry C- carry on <laughs> uh well that's all the weather that's me, that's me off me, how I Excellent. Right. Um, I've caught up with a couple of things. Uh, so I watched the Foo Fighters movie, Studio 666. Mm. Yep. Um, uh, fantastic fun. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think I was messaging Adam at the time while we were watching it, and I sort of said, oh, you know, Foo Fighters are one of those bands. I have a lot of respect for what they do, and I love them as people. But then music has never really appealed to me greatly. Um, yeah, that's uh, is interesting. 
But yeah. all their music does, in this it, sounded like Red Fang. And I was like, why don't they always mm. sound like this? It sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll have to check out the soundtrack then, definitely, because again, they are they are not a they are not a band that pissed me off by appearing on the radio. No. Um, and yeah, it's sort of just quiet. It's just weird that that seems to be everyone's take on the Foo Fighters. It's like yeah. everyone, everyone loves them, but obviously, yeah. um, R.I.P. Taylor. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's but but yeah, there's sort of like this weird. They sort of exist in this weird realm of, oh no, I really like them, and it's like, do you own any arms now? No. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they're on often enough. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they worked perfectly well for this. It had a not quite a Beatles feel, but it was a similar sort of, you know, like help and those type of like a really good film centered around them as a band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I just I I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. I thought it might be a bit of a sort of cash in thing because um, they hadn't done anything for a while. When I was like, mm. oh, I was just this just their way of reminding people that they're still. But I don't think it is. I think they. Uh, yeah, I, I think they loved the opportunity to be in a horror film and did a really good job of it. So, uh, mm. yeah. I, I, I would expect Dave Grohl to probably be a fan of stuff like, what is it, um, Kiss versus the Martians Save Christmas yeah. or whatever it is. So I can imagine that's kind of, you know, in that sort of spirit, but in, in a way, you know, yeah. it's those kind of a films. Or like the Ramones, um, uh, what is it, Rock and Roll High School. Yeah. But so yeah. has this um has this made you consider playing Foo Fighters more? Uh yeah, yeah, I think it has to be honest. Um mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I I really liked it. The music they were making in it, mm. um, although it was obviously part of the storyline, yeah, it was way mm. more the type of stuff that I'd actually listened to. But yeah, I mean yeah. They, they are really good musicians, I, mm. you know. Um and I just I found them thoroughly likable characters, and they were really good. Uh, they were surprisingly good actors, really considering. Oh, so yeah, good. I got really drawn in, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. Um, so following on from that, I then watched because I nearly chose this as my birthday choice, but then changed my mind at the last minute. So I decided, well, I've dug the DVD out now, so I'm going to watch it. Uh, 2007's Jack Brooks Monster Slayer. Uh, okay. This is a sort of medium budget movie. Uh, there's nobody in it you'll recognise apart from Robert England doing mm. what I, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of time for actors like this who make their name in horror and then do lots of lower budget stuff and sort of lend their name to things that they think are worthwhile. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um. Yeah, and it's just, again, it's a really good, fun, silly... It's basically, it's a, a guy who's a plumber and he's he's got anger management issues. He keeps going to his shrink and losing his temper and chucking stuff about all the time uh, because his parents were murdered by monsters when he was a kid, uh, which you see right in the opening, so it's not a spoiler. Uh, and his college professor is Robert England, who's moved into a big house on the edge of town and he's having water problems and he goes there and basically Robert England one way or another ends up becoming possessed by a monster and setting more creating more monsters and setting them loose and Jack Brooks has to uh, go and smack the shit out of them all Uh, yeah it's really good fun it's it's, what I like about it as well is they don't immediately go down that right let's go and get a load of guns route like it's a bloke with anger management issues so everything he deals with is his bare hands or a wrench or a pipe from the back of his van and he just beats everything to death the effects are really good yeah it's, it's just a really good fun film it's another one that people don't really talk about but I, i'm always always happy to watch it and jennifer was surprised how much she enjoyed it as well so oh, yeah. so yeah there you go so go and check out jack brooks monster slayer mm. Still um, never seen it. Still never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> do need to. No, I do need to because I know I know how much you I know how much you rate it. So yeah. Oh, it's, it's one of those. You know when you just need something to cheer you up. You're like, I want. I'm in the mood for mm. something silly and over the top with loads of gore and 
it, it's it's perfect for that mood. It's really, really good. Uh, yeah, a bit, a bit sort of Evil Dead type of vibe to it. So, uh, right. So on to this evening's main event, Horror Hotel or City of the Dead. So I'm imagining this was your first viewing, Chris. Was this yep, yeah. more the satanic cult that you were after that you didn't get from Rosemary's Baby was what I was hoping. Yeah, well, yeah, that that is exactly the right way to put it. Really, yeah. Mm. This this um is very charming film again. I mean, I think most of the films with Christopher Lee in seem to have that aesthetic, no matter how long he's on screen for. It's um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, just the whole thing was just seemed really well produced, um, enjoyable. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was really, really good film. Um, and and it was black and white, and you know, you know, I struggled to get back into the the eras, but yeah, it worked really well. Still, I liked the acting, I liked the the characters. It's it's a really easy film to get your hands on as well. I think it, I'm not mm. sure if it is public domain, but it's one of those I own about four different copies <laughs> of it because it's one of those whenever you get like a box, like a box set or one of those three films on a DVD, it's always mm. on there. Uh, but yeah, Adam and I have both treated ourselves for this special viewing. We both went out and bought the Arrow release, mm. the new 2K restoration job. Oh, yeah. oh and it looks so shiny. Mm. It looks oh, lovely. I was shocked. I'll be honest. It's, well, it's certainly the clearest we've ever seen it because it's, it's, but like you say, I mean, that's the thing is we were saying like with, so we we got it back here as Horror Hotel. So it was like mm. a print of a print of a print of something that fell out of someone's fucking boot. <laughs> yeah. But that's good and that it, it still held up, though, because, you, you know, I guess sometimes when they get um, brought up to, say, 2K or, or even 4K, then it's um, you might lose something. But it seems like, you know, they didn't try and go crazy with the effects. It was... It was all very, I think, tastefully done. It's atmospheric, is what. I yeah, like that's it. Film. It kind yeah. of mm. it doesn't show you a lot, but it builds mm. such an atmosphere. And and I mean yeah. that big crescendo at the ending is mm. in the graveyard. It's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, jumping it's ahead an, of myself there. It's an incredible set. Mm. Yeah. Like Whitewood. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is. I mean, it's quite a small set, as you can sort of see on there, but it's really well done. And, like, I mean, it's fog-shrouded and, mm. you know, it per permanently nighttime, and it's sort of just... Which, in many ways, hides a multitude of sins if you've got a lower budget. Mm. Yeah. So they've yeah. just got... They, you know, they've really... Turned, uh, turned this out because I don't think it was a particularly uh, high budget film. No, mm. at all. Um, there was, uh, yeah, I think I think I saw that there was a basically they got, it was because this is sorry, yeah, the, I do apologise. Um, yeah, this is basically the first Amicus film. Mm. Um, uh, they. Uh, it was um, Milton Spotsky and um, oh, I can't remember his part of the name. It's bloody that's eluding me. Sorry, I do apologise. It has been a somewhat uh, trying. While while you're working, I was going to say, having mentioned the fog, um, I, I sort of laughed and uh, yeah, like it wasn't terrible, but one of those details you sort of wonder about but picking strange men up on the road as a yeah. single woman driver like, yeah two women pick that random i mean yeah. an older guy like you know you think maybe they're but he is extreme what, yeah exactly and then what he said he said um to see me is a special privilege reserved for a chosen few it's like <laughs> yeah okay i'm glad i picked yeah. you up Especially because especially you know it's two blokes drive drive through. Does he appear there? Yeah. Does he bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
he's uh, yeah because the other but, thing with the budget so on imdb it's got an estimated budget of forty five thousand mm, pounds mm. which is ridiculously low um we can get a car for that now um <laughs> But, but I think it works in its favour, particularly one of the things that I've always loved about this is the opening titles, those illustrations of just the hooded mm. figures. They just set the atmosphere so well. It's such a kind of, yeah, sinister, yeah. dark, creepy, but w- with, without doing anything, it's just very plain black and white drawings, but they're so creepy. The whole, I think that's the whole sort of, effect of it because it's essentially unless you're in well even uh, Christopher Lee's gaff mm. does come with a ensuite gargoyle and <laughs> that's plumbed in and a pigeon stabbing area in the lounge but you know it's relatively normal mm. um, and yeah Whitewood is just pure sort of because it gets really uh, like almost like sort of 30s German expressionism, sort of because you've got like the, the silhouette sequence at the end in the graveyard at the end, and mm. um, uh, a lot of the bits and pieces like that. It's it's really again making a strength of the fact it's not it's not it's in black and white because it was the cheaper film stock they could purchase, it's in black and white, so we think about how we do this. Because obviously by the 60s, you know, the colour films were fairly commonplace. So although people were still using black and white, it was there were people who were like, well, we've got to do it. But if we make if if we make uh, a City of the Dead, we can really make a, a take an advantage of the black and white photography. Mm-hmm. You know, it does it really, really looks the part. It does actually mentioning the fact it's 1960. The other film that I'd forgotten how sort of almost similar this is that came out the same year, Psycho. This has yeah. exactly the mm. same thing of killing off who you think is going to be your main character yeah. you're going to follow all the yeah. way through and then killing mm. her off, you know, a third of the way into the movie. Mm. Um, yeah, and the fact that this came out the same year and has a very similar black and white look, there's actually quite a lot of crossover between the two of them. Apparently, and this is the interesting thing, um, City of uh, City of the Dead came out over here before Psycho came out over here. Mm. So, because they, you know, it would be a, it wouldn't necessarily be a staggered schedule. Stuff would get released in the same year, mm. but it wouldn't necessarily be married up across all territories or whatever like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Psycho actually only appeared in Britain after um, City of the Living Dead came out. Yeah. So probably a few people going, that bloody Hitchcock, look what he's done, he's gone black and white. Yeah, <laughs> the last, last gets killed at start, you know, and you think, you think you're with her. Her name's Nan. Don't know what it's for. I think shot for Nanny. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and um, well, Speaking of, of shortening people's names, I hadn't noticed before in this, when the brother meets Pat, the, the mm. daughter of the priest. Yeah, and he says, my name's Richard. And she phones him up immediately and goes, Dick. And I was like, yeah. you can't just yeah. go shortening people's names without checking with them. Like, he specifically said, my name is Richard. Don't just go shortening it without checking. What's wrong with you, woman? No wonder yeah, you end I, up on the slab. I think, no, I think I think the worst worst part about that is, is that he, he, he just took it. Yeah. He's like... Dick, yes. <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to ask, Adam, if it turned up in your research, that we're saying about how good the arrow print is uh, and how mm. the various copies that I've got of this are kind of from, I'm imagining some kind of public domain uh, site or old stock. Um, mm. I have watched this film probably a dozen times, never realised before Christopher Lee is trying to do an American accent. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's I think it's actually he. It, it's everyone. Everyone in this is an English production. Everyone in it is English. Oh really? So <laughs> yeah, which which um, I think I'm pretty sure everyone in it is English. I'll say certainly mm. um, 
Valentine Dial is, and um, the the I can't think of what his name is. The the brother, not the gee whiz, yeah, Dick Grayson <laughs> sort of bloke. Um, but like, yeah, Nan's brother. I can't think of what his name is, but he um, he he was actually a mostly famous as like a singer and dancer. He was, I suppose, actually, it'd be like something like Roy Castle being in Amicus. Oh, okay. You know, I think he's that kind of a that kind of a person. Hmm. Um, he was, yeah, he was like he won top male singer in Melody Makers nineteen fifty seven poll. Richard Barlow, there we go. Yeah, um, and he is um, he was from South Africa, um, oh. but he was like a sort of a big hit over here. Then obviously you got Christopher Lee, Patricia Jessel. Oh, She's both, fantastic uh, in both. Yeah. And and the guy, Jeff, the guy plays Jethro, Valentine mm. Nile. Um, he is English. He is uh the man in black, uh, which apart from in Johnny Cash terms, it was a character that used to be on the radio as yes. the sort of crypt keeper presenter of tales uh in um appointments with fear and basically yeah in in this he's doing an american accent which annoys me slightly because i want to hear the mm. full clear valentine dial which is just like hearing a tomb speaking to you it's just <laughs> like the, the fucking deepest darkest crag of rock voice um and um yeah he he was the he was called the man in black and he would uh, present appointments with fear and then in later years there was another man in black which was an actor called Edward D'Souza who used to be on he used to appear in quite a few Hammer films I think he was in Corrie um, like like a few years back I think now you know he's still around um, and uh, then the third man in black was Mark Gatiss oh. so and, well, and obviously for Mark Gatiss that was like a proper that was that was sort of not necessarily on a par with getting the role of the doctor, but it was sort of is one to tick off the list. It's like if you got well, I did get to play a very good Victor Frankenstein, or you know, <laughs> it, was, I think it'd be the same sort of thing. It's like, well, I am one of the only three the man in blacks from uh, from the radio, so um, but yeah, that guy Valentine Dial is um, he ended up uh, doing loads of stuff with Spike Milligan. Because I think he's such an got such an extraordinary like voice that's somewhere between God and the devil of like this sort of stern crag of a voice, and yeah, he, he used to appear on the Goon Show loads, and he's in loads <laughs> of like Spike Milligan films and stuff because yeah, he was just someone that he'd collected along the way. Who was I think in that it was that sort of. Uh, Adam West thing of like, well, we know that if we give him a script, he just says it. Yeah, no fucks given. He's doing it. <laughs> um, and and in in Doctor Who, he was a character called the Black Guardian, who was kind of Satan, basically. Um, he was like the absolute embodiment of all negative, well, of all negativity. And then you had the White Guardian, who was the opposing force and everything else like that. But um, yeah, and Valentine Dial was the Black Guardian, and it was like, yeah, I think this is the. I mean, they dressed they dressed the poor bastard up like a git. Um, <laughs> he had like a crow on his head, but but he still managed to get past that to make you still think, oh, it it make your ass squeak. He's fucking Jesus Christ! He's fucking terrifying when he's when he starts talking. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the um, I also when I was uh, <clears throat> yeah when I was uh, looking uh, looking through uh, it's um, Milton Sabotsky and uh, Max Rosenberg who uh, are the producers. Who this is produced by Vulcan Films. This is the only <laughs> film that Vulcan Films ever made, and then they became Amicus okay. and. Yeah, uh, so this everyone considers this an abacus film essentially. I think actually, I think also, um, the Monster Club, I believe, is not an abacus production, but it's still the pair of them. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, it's a similar sort of situation where it's like, no, this is an Abacus film. It just doesn't have Abacus on it. See, now, um, it's funny you mention that because I, I love uh, The Monster Club. But I always have to skip the musical interludes because it's so embarrassingly bad. The music that they put in between. Oh, the, 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 the actual sort of, yeah, the club. Um, but they had the same thing here, I found. Like that weird jazz music that's going on when the brother is driving into the town. It, do you know what it reminded me of? You know, the young ones, their summer episode, and it's got that funny sort of overly happy music playing in the background as a kind of, yeah, yeah, and it's just really awkward and doesn't fit the film at all. I mean, it doesn't hurt it, but it's it's just, again, it's it's the the, beauty of doing this. Because the weird thing is with that is that the music is by a guy called Douglas Gamely, who's an Australian composer, who did loads of amicus stuff it was like oh, really? I, I, when, I, when i was watching it at the start i was like i know the name and i can't place it and i'm like but he's basically yeah just all over amicus he's like beast must die tales from the crypt asylum vault of horror now the screaming starts from beyond the grave madhouse uh, monster Club. Uh, carry on cruising <laughs> oh, um, which is not an amicus film but there we go um but if you notice in the credits it's music douglas gamely Jazz Ken Jones, yeah. who was another Brit, who was a, um, a, a British composer, I believe, who uh, was uh, who mostly did like comedies. That was like, what it did... felt like. It felt like yeah. a jaunty. Com- I mean, don't get me wrong; it was fantastic music. It just didn't suit this yeah. movie it's, at all. It, it's whenever they're in the car, it's like right. We need music that definitely doesn't sound like it's yeah. part of the soundtrack. Like mm. so. They just put on like what can only be described as like John's all having a rest. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not fucking bags mental, but you're like, oh, right, calm it. I don't think you need to take as many pills before the next performance, <laughs> guys. Because <laughs> you're very hyped, aren't you? You know, you're very keen. Very keen. I like that you're keen, but <laughs> yeah, and it's this like fucking mad jazz whenever they're in like the coffee bars and stuff like that. But again, I think that was kind of, it's a British film being made, but they're like, right, so we'll make it as American, presumably to appeal to an American audience. So everyone in it is playing American. It's set in America. Um, And I think that's their sort of thing of like, well, what are American coffee shops like? Oh, that'd just be fucking mad jazz, wouldn't it? And like, yeah, I've teenagers. seen a bucket of blood. I know what it's all about. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I think that's what it is. So, do so we know? Yeah, did so... it actually do well in America? Well, as horror hotel, because where was it? The because um, it's got like a weird because of that. It's got a, a slightly weird relationship. There we go. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the film wasn't released until 1962 mm-hmm. in the US. And that was as part of a double bill with a German mad scientist film called The Head. Uh, it was renamed Horror Hotel and most significantly cut crucial dialogue from the opening burning sequence, oh, which right. explains the premise of the film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's 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 why, the bit why? with it, it's the bit with Elizabeth Selwyn and Jethro when she start when like the clouds come over. Yeah, yeah. And it's I've you know the sort of I've made my pact with the Lucifer, mm. and then you definitely Jethro's... need that to understand yeah, what to understand is going on the fucking film. <laughs> what, so why did they cut that? I've no idea because this is the thing because it's kind of lower budget. There's sort of, I don't mm. think the records are there or whatever. But I'm kind of assuming it's just because it's like right prayers to Satan out. <laughs> you know I think oh oh what like a religious. Yeah, and I think like it's, it's, you know, it's just I mean, too. Yeah, okay. it, it was just a bit too on the nose for the Americans that mm. they were like, "Oh, well, you can't have." Well, I mean, we're gonna. Oh, are we gonna show her getting set fire to? You bet your bum. <laughs> yeah. Are we gonna have her praying to Satan before? No, no. <laughs> the fucking kids could be watching this. <laughs> Not having them turn to Satan worshippers. Now you sit there and enjoy the woman on fire. <laughs> it's a very. I don't, I don't know why I didn't choose to do that in American accent. 
it's, uh, I think I think the heart was there. Um, yeah, I, that is the only reason that people seem to think is that it's probably because it's it's literally the whole oh Lucifer, just that prayer bit, yeah. and response thing between her and Jethro, and which explains the film and also is probably the most. It's probably because, oh, Jesus, is it as complex or as both complex and stupid as they pray to Satan and they get what they want? So it's like demonstrating that Satanism works. Yeah. Or, or so, do you know what I mean? Something. Yeah. It could brainwash. Brainwash. Yeah. (laughs) Possibly. Well, the amount of other dopey things that seem to have well, come about, it wouldn't point. be too surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, I th- and you're talking at a time where no matter what was happening, America is always religiously conservative. Mm. And it's sort of, so I assume that's why it's gone. However, mm-hmm. it does tend to lopside the fucking film a bit <laughs> because you don't know. The, the other interesting thing is that it did come out also, it comes out before Black Sunday came out in England oh. as well. Because the opening, Chris, is very, feels very similar because it's that same stark black and white look. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's grimmer because it's um, Italian. So there's like, um, there's a fat executioner in a hood with a brazier and they, do hammer a spiked mask into a woman's face. Mm. But well, I was just trying to think, the only other Italian, is it Suspiria and Pan's Labyrinth? Uh, Suspiria is, I think, the only Italian oh, is it? okay. uh, film that we've watched, I think. I'm pretty sure it is. Mm. Um, which, re- which reminds me, bad news, Lee, I got my f- Fulci box set back. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> We'll see how many of them make it into the. Uh, oh, don't, don't the worry. There's only list. one. There's only one that needs to come in. Um, I, I've got to say that uh, you saying about um, uh, about um, uh, Valentine Dahl and Patricia Jessel. That's mm. all of the scenes with those two. I absolutely loved. I thought those two were so good together, and they created such yeah. a, an atmosphere of them sitting around that fire sort of, you know, making their mm. plans of what was going on. Mm. Only yeah. a few foot away from the room where their intended <laughs> victims were. Yeah. Um, I yeah mean, and- I mean, it, it has to be said that, come on, man, fucking hell. Um, I, when it's like, well, it says here in the Book of Witchcraft that you'll have a valuable piece of uh, item taken away, probably a piece of jewellery. Um, and... Uh, in its place will be a dead bird. And then someone's going to put an ounce of old oven next to it. And yeah. Um, yeah. Oh no, sorry. Woodbines. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that genuinely wasn't a joke. I just, all I remember was it was backy, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. Like, like I say, full of, I'm full of cold and flu, the tablets and the, the thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there was a, um, yeah, just when it was like, and oh, yeah, incidentally, have you seen, uh, I seem to have misplaced my locket. Yeah. Oh, well, where, where, where did you last see it? Well, it's where this dead bird was. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that'll think, be enough for the evening. Especially for a student of, yes. you know, of witchcraft about to do a final dissertation and she doesn't manage to put two and two together and think, I should probably yeah. get uh, Well, well she, she hasn't passed... You know, yeah. So, well, yeah, it's true. Might indicate she could, be, she could just be shit. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Christopher Lee probably is just like <laughs> he's, he's not going to send it? the yeah. smartest pupil. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, which one of you's thick as pig shit? <laughs> Nan, why didn't you come to my study? <laughs> she walks in with her fucking shoes on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Patricia Jessel didn't really do. I don't think she had many. She hasn't got many that many film credits or anything else like that. But apparently, she died quite young. She she died at forty seven. Yeah, I just saw that attack. on IMDb. Yeah, which is terrible. 
And um, but I do think that she is so good in this because mm. yeah. you've got because you've you've obviously got Christopher Lee, but Christopher Lee in, in a slightly lesser role. He's not mm-hmm. in charge, and that immediately oh, robs well, him of some yeah. of his authority. Yeah. Um, and but and then you've got Valentine Dial, who again, admittedly, I'm somewhat obsessed with, but he sort of has this intense sort of screen presence, mm. and at no point are you in any question as to who's running this shit. Yeah, you know, and she is just like, I mean, she just looks. Like a reincarnated evil uh, yeah. witch from the 1600s. Mm. It's just there's just something about she's just brilliant. She reminded me of like Bonnie Aaron's mm. of just someone. It's someone when people are just so um, out of their just, time. Oh, yeah, it's really. I mean, that is a clever moment as well. Is because what <coughs> is that right at the start where you show where they show you all the faces in the village. Mm. And all the faces are still there. But they give you that sort of, there's not a person in there. It's not like, it's, it's guess who. Do you know what I mean? There's not, there's not like two people you're going to mistake for each other. Yeah. There's, you know, there's like, it's, there's, a, they're really characterful faces and people. and But it's such a smart idea because then we know what's going on, but no one else has to. And it doesn't have to be, pointed out yeah you know it's actually quite it's actually a film that's probably spends much more time presenting everything to its audience than any of the characters yeah because mm. no no one does get a full idea of what's happened at any point again much like psycho it's that kind <coughs> of we are fully aware of what's going on it's not a mystery to us but, yeah. but you're seeing the characters kind of trying to piece it all together from the little that they are aware of yeah Um, yeah and it 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 does it in a really in a really good way like nobody in it is that dark they say apart from her losing her jewelry none of it is that daft that you kind of go oh come on pull yourself together you must know what's going on it's all kind of you know it's all behind closed doors and it's 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 hinted at you know the people in the village are weird but they're not overtly evil mm. you know well it's all it's also the thing like they call the police and the police show up and the police go oh there's nothing to see it mm. you know which again is psycho mm. there's a do you know what i mean it's a very mm. interesting thing because at that point what do you do because it's like right we've called the authorities right the authorities turned up they didn't twig or they're in on it um, yeah, if, if yeah. you choose to go against that, then you're now stepping over a line, really. Yeah. That's yes. quite you, you've done difficult. all that is yeah. all that the world offers you mm. in terms of help. Yeah. That it's like it's like, oh right, okay, so shit. <laughs> right, what do I do now? Just wait until a letter turns up eventually. And it's like admittedly, probably Christopher Lee's probably undermining that the whole time going, well, she was terribly forgetful, wasn't she? Mm. <laughs> And um, but apparently this was originally uh, the guy who wrote the script was a guy called George Baxt, and then Milton Sabotsky rewrote that as was his usual sort of way with Amica stuff. Um, because originally this was the pilot for a television series to star Boris Karloff. Oh. Um, I don't know in what role, um, and apparently it was it, it's Sabotsky's real re- rewrite that brings in the subplot with the boyfriend who, mm. who obviously does become extremely significant in the last moments, mm. but up until that point is so tacked in. It's really weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is every time you see him, you're like, but the brothers checking into what's happened to them. Why did the, why did we need the boyfriend? Was that yeah. a thing? What? And yeah, he sort of, it's a <coughs> a very weird sort of uh, thing to add in, but mm. I presume it was just like, well, I'll bump up the run, <laughs> give something, bring in another character, that's it. Yeah. So, 
But I keep the guilt. Yeah, the, the the woman who um, most of the money came from a TV producer called Hannah Weinstein. Nothing to do with that lot. Um, a former journalist and left wing political activist who had left America during the McCarthy anti communist witch hunts and had moved to England. So she produced a lot of successful uh, shows in the 50s, like a lot of um, sword and uh, sandal sort of stuff, like yeah. um, Robin Hood, William Tell, like a lot of medieval sword and sorcery sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and actually, she was employing. She, she was employing writers who were blacklisted in the States as communist sympathisers, <laughs> so they'd actually have some work. Oh, nice. So she, yeah, so she, they were just writing under pen names. She was getting the sun. They, they got their money, so was, yeah. Um, but she did an ITV crime series, Colonel March of Scotland Yard, starring Boris Karloff, which ran for one season. Never it's even like some crime it. procedural, yeah. And so I'm assuming that's where the script's probably floated across from her maybe mm. that she was like oh well, we've got this script we're not going to do anything with it you can adapt it or whatever like that um she did go back to the u.s in the 70s where she formed the third world cinema corporation with rita moreno ozzy davis from um mother hotel and james l jones uh, mm. To produce films for for members of uh, by members of minority, minority communities, she also went on to produce Stir Crazy, so she's fucking great. <laughs> uh, the rest of the money came from Nottingham Forest Football Club. What? <laughs> Fuck knows why. Anyway, so yeah, that was. I'd sort of I was sort of reading all this stuff, and it was like, oh, she sounds interesting, and I'll I'll mention that and everything, and then it was like. And Nottingham Forest Football Club, who clearly had some money to burn. Yeah. And we're just like, because he's not even like, you know, I mean, I'm glad, but it's not like their managers in it as, you know, like, the, he's, he's not the guy in the petrol station, yeah. which is a character I really like. Yeah. Because he's is the opposite of the sort of Friday the 13th version. Where it's like sort of just ultra aggressive. It's just like, well, you might not want to bother going down there. It's like, and then the next one, sort of like, and in the end, it's just like, fucking hell, right? It's down there. You see a fucking sign. There'll be an old perv in a Mac now. Now, don't worry. He'll ask you for a lift, show you his teeth, be really sinister, and then disappear. That happens. Okay. Go to the Ravens and tell them I sent you. That's what they. <laughs> It really reminds uh, me, there's a very similar character, actually, in uh, Curse of the Crimson Altar, the guy who runs the petrol garage there. We, you kind of feel mm. sorry for him because everyone just keeps pulling in, asking for directions and then pissing off. Nobody pays him for any petrol. He's just yeah. there as, like, free public information. It is. Um, no, he's exactly like that the guy in that. <laughs> the, um, also, Candlemas Eve. Uh, so... Candlemas is uh, on the 2nd of February. It's a Christian holiday commemorating the, presenta the, the presentation of the infant Jesus Christ at the, tem at the temple. That's, that, that's the thing. Mm. So it sounds, sorry, it sounds weird, but that's the thing. And it's a sort of uh, basically a, a child purifying tradition where uh, they are brought to the temple and presented and blah, blah, blah. The day before that is Imbolc, which is a pagan festival, but it's not in the sort of it's not in the sort of same way that you would see Sarwin being used mm. or Samhain, you know, sort of, or Beltane or something like that. It's literally it's the feast day of uh, Brigid, the uh, Irish uh, goddess. Mm. And she is the goddess of healing, poetry, smithcraft, fire, the sun, and the hearth. And also, it's the Christian Saint Bridget's Day because the Christians always have to pop in and try and overwrite pagan stuff. <laughs> so, like, you know, like just genuinely tip X out a couple of bits, add a saint, and then Bob's your army. And um, so it's, it's a weird one that they chose. I think it's just because it sounds dramatic. Yeah. Um, you know, Candlemas Eve, but it's actually, it's like, oh no, it's like, it's basically the first day of spring. Hmm. So, but then again, 
is that I am reading far too much into that. I'm, I'm not even going to follow that path because <laughs> I will ramble and uh, we only have a little time on this earth. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you were saying earlier, Chris, that um, obviously we don't get back to black and white stuff so much. So has this reinvigorated your uh, love of monochromatic cinema? Um, I, I'd say uh, it, it's certainly helped to build it. You know, it's, it's building on it successfully. I, I've, um, I, I think I've, I've mostly enjoyed probably black and white. It, it is interesting. It seems to... It seems like it doesn't break uh, my immersive, mm. you know, the immersive feeling as much as sometimes ones with this, I guess you'd say, over-the-top colour and and certain stylistic choices, I guess. With this, it almost still felt like it wasn't that old in the way it was shot. It, it was, mm. yeah, just very well produced, I felt. So, yeah, there must be something. There's a certain time period, I think, where it must just trigger... It's not like um, you know soap, uh, soap opera effect, hmm. but no. it's it's something that just breaks, uh, and, and possibly uh, well, you know I guess Rosemary's Baby did that at the end, like I said for me, and it might be if I watched it a few times, I might that may not happen, but just occasionally something happens where it's like I just don't quite yeah feel as immersed, and yet I didn't get that experience watching this. It, I, it, I, I think it's, I mean, this is 1960, so they've been making horror films yeah. by this point for 30 odd years. And I think they've mm. moved away from the very early, uh, uh, when they were still finding their feet, really, where it felt, as we've discussed previously, you know, where it's basically a play and they just film it. This yeah. is very much yeah. a, a film, you know, mm. like there's a great yeah. use of sets and camera movement and things that, mm. that I think they were just, they were modern techniques at this time. But oh, yeah. because they've sort of stayed. Obviously, it, it's, it, it took film the way that it took it and took it away from locked off static camera shots. And it does yeah. just make it feel immersive and allow you to enjoy it more than, you know, a, a set change, which is what it feels like in a lot of, in a lot of yeah. earlier films. Yeah, it can be. And, and possibly sort of melodrama as well, I think sometimes, mm. whereas I didn't get that from this, even though there probably is elements that I could, you know, I think there is it just yeah it didn't immediately feel like that so it's 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 melodrama but it's extremely well done melodrama that could yeah that might be I think that's what it is is because everything's contributing mm. you know the the score I mean not the not the fucking magic stuff yeah. but um but in in a weird way I mean I just enjoy the fact that it's that alien to it that it's sort of mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't want you to think at any point. It's almost like it's going, right. We didn't choose this. They did. Yeah. In this film, are listening to this. Judge them. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's it's very well compacted as well. Like it's only you know forty. Uh, was it seventy four minutes? I think runtime. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's 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 very to the point, and I think that's the thing. I think that's why it feels. Like you was, you know, it, it feels like a really weight, well paced film. There's no long, mm. drawn out sequences. It kind of just gets to the action and carries you through. But it takes enough time to build the atmosphere, but without dragging on and, you know, yeah. leaving. I mean, that, that, that is definitely, yeah, atmosphere. I think that is really the thing when they get that right. Yeah, it, it feels like it all works together well. And I think that is, like you've said a few times, that is similar to Psycho. I, I felt like, yeah, you know, that, that, worked in in a similar way that just the whole style and production of it um still works for me now because i mean the guy the guy who directed it um uh john uh john moxie or john llewellyn moxie depending mm. on when he's making them um he was mostly a tv director mm, but okay. it's but uh, but he sort of went to the state so it's a lot of stuff that basically is Mm. It's like it's it's all the sort of seventies and eighties usual suspects. It's like Miami Vice, Murder yeah. She Wrote, Mission Impossible, Magnum PI, and stuff like that. But he well, and, and they movie. they were TV, but they did seem more like film. They were exactly that's when you get yeah. that sort of blurring of the lines, you know. Yeah, and and he actually directed um, he directed the Night Stalker. Um, like the original uh, Kolchak movie was directed by him, mm-hmm. and again, it's that sort of 
you know, it's, it is modern. I'm going to call it modern screen language mm. because it's both because it's both cinema and TV. But it's yeah, uh, okay. but he. I mean, he had sort of like in the 60s, he'd been at the sort of UK cutting edge of stuff like the Avengers and Zed cars and things. Mm. Um, he did make a Circus of Fear, uh, which uh, I think is the only sort of significant movie that he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he is a extremely good and clearly, you know, I... Because you were saying about it's funny when you were saying about that this, this sort of period is where everything opens up a bit with modern filmmaking and everything. You do get that palpable sense of joy from everyone involved and that they can do it. Yeah, and I think that's what's brought. That's why it's so energetic and feels so sort of you know ev- everyone's going for it because mm. it's like oh no this is this this feels much more modern and mm. you know. Uh, 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 a proper way to film this stuff rather than like, as you say, present, present it as a play and point a camera at it. Um, now there's obviously we have quite a few um, clips from this appeared in the video for uh, bring your daughter to the slaughter. Ah. And which makes me think you like you were saying about with Lee with it being on. I wonder if Horror Hotel has probably never been copyrighted over here. Maybe that's the fiddle. Possibly. Is, also, you know, so I noticed one of the sound bites as well has been used by Rob Zombie. Yeah, mm. I was going to say that's the other one. The fear, superstition, fear, superstition, jealousy. Yeah, is at the start of Dracula. And um, if nothing else, that was quite nice because it just made this, as soon as I was sort of sitting there, it's like, right, well, I'm doing Horror Hotel. Oh, well, I'm listening to Rob Zombie while I, <laughs> while I look, at the, look, look this stuff up and everything. Um, and also the clips uh, from the, wit- the burning sequence at the start are used in Curse of the Blair Witch. You know, the really good documentary that the Blair Witch people put out yeah. Like a week before it got released, like on the Sci Fi channel. Um, so all of those are, um, all of those clips are appearing in there. So I'm assuming it is out of copyright. Mm. And so therefore, it's why it's ended up on like those sort of three Vincent Price films in one, yeah, on one disc thing. Usually, usually the bat is in there somewhere as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, but, and uh, with a uh, sort of view to it obviously being a favourite of horror-themed musicians or horror-influenced musicians, did you know that this movie featured on volume two of the Misfits straight-to-video presentation, Chiller Theatre Fiend Club Show? Wow, I want to see that. Where Jerry Only and Doyle would act as horror hosts, show an old movie, and impart facts and interview utterly unrelated guests. <laughs> um, for Horror Hotel, the guest was Roger Corman. There you go. Obviously, had nothing to do with it. Um, basically, they made three of these things um, and released them on video, and it was sort of uh, obviously sort of like late 80s misfits or whatever um yeah and th- they put three of these videos out and it was uh the crawling eye aka the trollenberg terror uh and volume three was the hideous sun demon aka blood on his lips i don't know that film I've heard of particularly. That. but yeah so volume two was horror hotel and i've watched it you can see it on youtube um someone's helpfully put it up but just like the their bits yeah um and it's sort of but it's just and i mean i think doyle speaks once and like the rest of it is just jerry only sort of being like a sort of muscly elvira he's sort of you know just sitting there going as uh, and then as horror hotel returns you know sort of it's um yeah it's quite a weird fucking thing, but I and 
you know, it's weird that I've just never heard of it because it's like no. misfit stuff. And I thought, you know, I would have, I would have thought someone would have mentioned it that they did like their own horror hosting at some point, but no, apparently not. I will be looking that up definitely. Also, uh, interesting fact, uh, utterly unrelated to the film, but it is related to the misfits. Do you know why he's credited? Why he's called Jerry only? No. Uh, I'll play fair. This is I learned this from Last Dogs in Space. Um, apparently, like. He, they just Danzig misspelt his surname, like his real surname, when they uh, wrote out the credits on their first record. Yeah, and he said, "Look, next time, just credit me as Jerry only." And he meant just as Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, but Danzig's <laughs> just written out Jerry only, and um, yeah, that's why he and a fucking brilliant name is born. But yeah, that's why he's called Jerry only. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Right. Uh, so uh, we shall wrap it up there. Thanks ever so much, everyone, for listening. Um, go and check out City of the Dead or Horror Hotel if you have not. It's a fantastic film. It's well worth your time. Uh, and if all goes according to plan and the stars are aligned, we will all be taking a little trip out for Chrissy's birthday to go and see The Northman, and we'll be covering that in a fortnight's time. So thanks ever, thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. See you later. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.